We're fresh from spending a weekend with some honest-to-goodness commercial farmers, and I have to say, it really pinned my ears back. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles. Approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, And welcome to our podcast of February 16th, 2012. Uh, I enjoyed the, the conference we went to. It's Alabama Fruit and Vegetable Growers Association. They have an annual conference. This year it was at Auburn. Maybe it's at Auburn every year. I don't know. It's our first time to go. Very but helpful. Very helpful. Loved the the networks of communication we had with uh, various farmers there. And uh, there were a few people like us in terms of being organic. Not very many, but a few. A few. Um, and we sort of certainly um, improved our communication with them and hope to be in touch with them in the future. But um, we want to focus today's podcast on something that came out of a, a some something a that series came, of a series there. of programs yeah. that we went to that um had a message that we did find a little bit um objectionable and that was the reliance on pesticides and insecticides um and so what we're calling it this is a culture of poison and we realize that what we're hearing when we go to a conference like this are the good People. I mean, these are people who have the best of intentions. These who, are the conscientious growers who are serious about their craft. They yes. want to do it correctly. They actually read that label on the insecticide, and they at least try to follow it. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the questions and answers that came out during these sessions um, revolved around the best time to use this or apply that, or you know. So there was there definitely no one was interested in. Um, trying to get around the system at all. But a, a particular episode to me represented was sort of a microcosm, I guess, of the experience for me. And uh, I attended a workshop that was based on, it, the whole idea was controlling pests on uh, tomatoes and peppers. Well, in that workshop, more than half of the time was spent discussing insecticides and going down a list of particular insecticides to use to control various, and, and some of them, it wasn't just, um, I should mention, not just insecticides. There was some um, viruses and there were wilts and that kind of thing, bacterial wilt, for example, different types of diseases of plants that used various chemicals to control. So um, after I sat through that session, though, and realized how little of that I can use since I'm an organic grower, um, I became depressed. I mean, I, I can't think of another word for it. I just felt depressed. I thought back to a little over a year ago when I was sitting in a session at Southern SOG, which, of course, focuses on or organic. Southern Sustainable Agricultural right, Working Group. Organic production. And hearing discussions about targeting the very same pests the very same viruses, the very same um, diseases of plants, and you know weed suppression, and yet they were all focused on doing it in an organic way. That is, in a sustainable, um, natural way of dealing with it. This was at Southern Sog that I'm talking about. So, 
the the contrast was just stark in my mind and i was trying to wrap my mind around why i was upset and i realized first of all these are good people like we said at the outset and we understand where they're coming from that is the growers they have been taught to do it this way it's the only way they know to do it and in fact many of them are kind of caught up in a vicious cycle of having to do it that way now they can't change the way they do it without a multi-year commitment they really don't have a very large support network helping them do it as witnessed by the fact that we have difficulty finding good information to support the way we're growing right Um, we can find it and and I must say, our own extension agent, Mallory Kelly, could not be more supportive of what we're doing. Yes, She's she just really terrific. is. She really is. So, um, and and the other thing that a lot came out of this conference was, you need to be able to to market your product. We understand that if you're growing heirloom varieties, or you know, there might be a bug bite at it, or a nibble or something out of your fruit, it's not perfect. It's hard to sell it. It's hard to sell it at a farmer's market. It's almost impossible to sell it at a, a grocery store. Um, and so the, the financial system, I guess, and what the media has kind of taught customers that they ought to be looking for in a crop, in, in a product, um, it all kind of works together to sustain you know, and perpetuate this system that, but you're absolutely right there is an expectation that you and i have when we go to the grocery store of course we don't go to the grocery store to buy produce now we we grow, we grow our, our own, own. But, <laughs> but when we did go to the grocery store to buy produce one of the things we looked for is blemishes we didn't want to buy a sweet potato that had a blemish on it We didn't want to buy a tomato that had a blemish on it. Well, Mm -hmm. now we know that those blemishes are sort of a good sign. That indicates that you're allowing nature to do this rather than trying to do it with chemicals. So um, that's a great point. That's all part of the package that gets us to this point where these growers feel like they really need to use the poison. And I guess that takes us to the next step. Yeah, the next step is it, it is poison, isn't it? Yeah, we, there's a fear or, or a reluctance, I guess. That's, fear is too strong a word, but a reluctance to use the P word to say we're using poison. Um, what, we, what we heard at these recent mm-hmm. seminars is some euphemisms that have become yeah. very popular. We talk about control. We talk about, well, if you get to this point, you probably need to clean it up, which is a way of saying, go ahead and poison mm-hmm. that. You know, clean up ahead. around that tree. Spray some Roundup. Yeah, that's right. what it means. Uh, stay out in front of them. They, they talk about, well, then you'll get to the point where you just need to solve the problem. And it's just... It's just interesting to hear all of the ways we find to avoid saying the term poison. And here's the issue. What are insecticides? What are herbicides? They're poisons. They're chemicals. And so many of those, we don't know the long-term effect on the human body. Um, There may, and we'll talk about one in a minute where there actually have been some studies, but so many of these, especially when new varieties come out, um, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when they took cyclamates off the market because they were allowing people to drink these, you know, as, a, as an artificial sweetener. And keep, uh, I guess, was it Fresca or some beverage that it was in? Um, 
you know, so how many of these things are we going to find out later? Oh, we did find out they are toxic. And the one that you wanted to um, spend a little time talking about is Roundup. The generic term for it is glyphosate, put out by Monsanto, uh, used widely by everybody we know, practically. I'd be surprised if any of our listeners have not heard of it. They, you've all heard of this, Including right? Including our dear friends at church, who are very comfortable spraying Roundup on things. And an analogy we often hear is something to the effect that glyphosate is safer than table salt. Well, because it would be taken in in such a small concentration. I mean, that's part of the the argument. Nobody's saying you're going to spray Roundup in your mouth. It's all about a concentration that's... Right, but the diluted the statement that's made is it's as safe as it's safer than table salt. Right. Well, for starters, table salt's not all that safe. Every grower knows better than to spray salt on your soil because you may not be able to grow anything there for years after you spray mm-hmm. salt on it. Salt is very tough on plants. And another example you had was a uh, ten percent vinegar. Yeah. That- Vinegar in a small diluted quantity, that's fine. I mean, you know, we put that on. It tastes great on your salad. Great on your salad, but don't put any 10 or 20% vinegar, which you can buy, by the way, on your salad. Um, So, you know, it's all relative, isn't it? And this statement that Roundup is safer than table salt still gets repeated out there, even though Monsanto has been convicted of false advertising for using it. But what happens is, it's still out there, so people keep repeating it to each other as if it's true when we know it's been proven it's false. So, But, you know, that's what happens with a lot of persuasive campaigns is uh, information gets out or <laughs> arguments, um, whatever, propaganda, and uh, even if it's refuted, it's very, you know, if for, for one thing, if there's not a widespread campaign to... Um, negate or refute that, that, you know, if there's not a widespread information giving campaign, then, as you said, the the folklore is still out there. And there are weeds that have developed resistance to glyphosate now. So we have glyphosate-resistant weeds that are uh, slowly taking control because, of course, people still use a whole lot of glyphosate. So we're basically... um, and I guess that brings us to this next point well, about resistance. Exactly. I, I wanted to say something about that, too, because that came out in the workshop this past weekend. There were a couple of instances when the presenter would say, well, you know, we used to be able to control this insect with pesticide X. And, and you know, if you need me to give you specific names of pesticides, I'm sorry. I, I can find that for you if you want to. But my eyes began to glaze over after a while because I'm thinking, and I'm we not don't gonna, need to know it. I'm not going to use that stuff. But just take my word for it. There were acknowledgments that certain pests have become resistant to certain pesticides, and therefore now we're using this other product. And yes, in some cases they were safer. I will be the first to admit. They're actually improving some of these pesticides by targeting maybe the insect's reproductive system or the insect's, um, you know, in other words, it's not so much to do just poison everything. They're making it specific to the target pest so that beneficial insects are not 
killed off by the insecticide. That, I, I grant you, that's an improvement, but it's still poison. And um, so not and only... we still don't know the long-term residual We still don't effect. know that. And, you know, what hits me is when we say, okay, it became resistant. Doesn't that tell you something? Because do you not believe in natural selection that, well, gee, this new poison you've come out with, the, this generation of insects could become resistant. And also now we're seeing even more invasive species of all kinds, both flora and fauna. <laughs> so we haven't even begun to touch those with these chem some of these chemicals. So that's the problem. And now let's shift gears in a major way and talk about the, um, the next couple of weeks for you and me. We're heading to Georgia Organics a week from tomorrow. And uh, we're hoping that we will learn more about how to use the approach we use um, more effectively. Right. And um, so I, I, I wonder if we could spend some time sort of going over what our approach is. And um, yeah, that, I think that way we can uh, maybe fit in on an up note. I would like to. And, and while we do, at both organic conferences and the one we just attended, there is a, a, an assumption that, um, well, you can use organically approved substances, neem oil, and we mentioned 10% vinegar. And actually, I have some 10% vinegar and some neem oil out there. Um, Although I, we have not used either of no, them a lot um, no. on our, our crops because we what we're trying to do is avoid using those yeah. man-made chemicals completely. And that's the point that I wanted to make is to say we're not condemning those practices at all. If someone wants to use neem oil or, or any of these organically approved products, but the fact of the matter is they are still toxic to something at some level. And uh, so we're trying to avoid those if we can. So let's lay out what we mean when we talk about our approach. First is we have to be honest. You know, one of our three principles is we don't make all misstatements. So there's nothing we're telling you that we're going to say we will never do this or we will always do that. That's We're right. very careful to point that out. Um, but the, the, I guess the, the first thing we need to acknowledge is we don't have to make a living selling what we grow, and that gives us a great deal of flexibility that commercial growers just wish they had but don't. For the reasons that we talked about, that if their fruit or their produce is blemished in any way or has you know, so, some of the ear of corn is eaten away by earworms or uh, their tomato has a little blossom end rot on the bottom or something, they're not going to be able to sell that piece of fruit or that vegetable very easily. We, on the other hand, cut the bad part off and eat it. So Glad to have it. It's, it's not as big an issue for us. That's true. So another thing we do is we stay diverse. We are absolutely not using any form of monoculture. Everything we grow is, you know, side by side with some other crop. And we're careful to grow enough different things that there's no crop we've just got to make work. That's right. I did have my heart stomped on this past year when <laughs> the pumpkins didn't make it. And I'm determined. I'm actually, I signed up to, to join uh, the Alabama Pumpkin Growers Association <laughs> next year. And I, I got all smarter. excited. You were, re you were signing this form that said, reform the Alabama Pumpkin Growers Association. I'm thinking, all right, Amanda's going to be in there crusading. <laughs> well, reform to them meant form it again after it yes. had 
um, slipped away for a Reform while. Reform it. However, <laughs> and, and so I am determined. I told you that day, I'm determined I'm going to learn how to grow pumpkins. But it will be organic. Um, but, but yeah, that having been said, we, we could live without pumpkins. They got wiped out by squash bugs last year. But we had plenty of winter squash to see us through. We're not starving. So that's true. We will plant trap crops. Uh, unlike some of the folks who were at the conference last weekend, we don't ever plan to poison, to spray poison on our trap crop. Yeah, we should mention that one approach to trap crops is <clears throat> you get use, them all over on the trap crop and then zap them with your yeah, poison. Exactly. And the idea the trap crop just simply means it's a, a crop that you're willing to sacrifice to draw the, the pests away from your target crop. And um, if you, you know, if you get lucky, you may have some of the trap crop you can eat, but you don't count on it. And actually, I've heard trap crops discussed at Southern Sog at the organic conference. Yes, we have. So and it they can don't be talk done organic. That's on right. Them. Uh, we, ha- but the the heart of what we do is a series of what the rest of the world calls cultural practices, things we do that are designed to help us r- limit the the damage and reduce the likelihood of pest damage. Uh, The first, I guess, is mulch. Right. Mulch, just um, to keep the moisture in, to keep the soil temperature up, to and yes, to protect against weeds and invasiveness. Not afraid to use a row cover to to screen out uh, grasshoppers or some other kind of bug. Of course, we have to be careful about when we put it on and when we take it off because we don't want to erect a barrier to pollinators. But physical barriers can also include uh, keeping weeds down with the use of newspaper, cardboard, and that and the like. Absolutely, uh, you are very careful and becoming quite expert about companion planting. Trying to interplant uh, marigolds, for example, that have that naturally repel uh, certain insects that might attack your tomatoes. That's a good example. And we're careful about what varieties we grow. Uh, you've got some summer squash that you'd love to plant, but uh, at least for the next year, we probably will hold off because we had so much squash bug and squash vine borer damage. Yes, in fact, and I have to say at this point, acknowledge that one of the approaches that they did um, emphasize at the conference last weekend was to look for resistant varieties. That's true. They said that before you even worried about insecticides. Um, however, Some of the resistant varieties are Monsanto products, just so you know. Lots of rotation of crops, moving things around. What you want to do is confuse the bugs, um, make it harder for them to find your your target crop, and and we've done that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, You've asked me to put cucurbits in the orchard this year, and we'll, we'll move them over there. Um, obviously I'm a little nervous about getting squash bugs out in the orchard, but we'll keep an eye on that. Right. And we're just hoping that maybe if we move them far enough away from the vegetable planting, it'll take them a year to find it. And by that time I will have moved my cucurbit somewhere else. So we'll see. And I would say perhaps the most important strategy we are using in our approach is patience. Uh, that is being willing for nature's predators to find these bugs that are preying on our target crops. And it's already paid off one time. We know it worked. And that's the story about the aphids on the peas. Right, that we've talked about before. And, and I think this is probably a good way to kind of draw all this to a conclusion, is that in the short term, 
Yes, you may feel a little better about being able to just go zap those bugs and put the seven dust out and see those suckers die and, and not have to worry with them. But in the long term, we're doing ourselves more of a service to develop resistant species, to develop, I'm saving seed to hopefully um, encourage uh, and, and continue to grow um, cultivars that work well here, that, have a, that are adapted to our climate, our pests, our weeds, etc. Um, they're the survivors, in other words. And that takes um, endurance for the long haul. And I think in, the, in our climate, we know we have a challenge here too with the heat and humidity that seem to be getting worse every year. <laughs> but it can be done. Our ancestors did it in the past. Yes, we have some challenges that they didn't have to face, but the principles are the same, which is help nature to develop its own defenses. I think that's a good summary. Well, I guess we're just about out of time, and we will uh, be in, back in touch with you next week when we can give you a little bit of a preview of what we'll be doing at Georgia Organics and a little bit of a summary of what we do here at Longleaf Breeze. Have a great week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log, check in with Lee and Amanda, and talk with other listeners. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.